We have come as far as verse 29 in John chapter 1, where it says, And the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man, which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou seest the Spirit descending, and remaining on him, the same is he that baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. And again the next day after John stood, two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. This is a really interesting time in the ministry and life of John the Baptist. This is what he had lived for. This is the time he had come to. He is bearing witness now to the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world pointing Israel to her Messiah. He had lived and breathed that, you know, his his entire life, and now he's come. This is the pinnacle of his short ministry, because now he's going to say he must increase, I must decrease. In no time we're going to find him in the Mamertine prison and then beheaded. But his whole life has led up to this. He tells us here, after this, after the... Pharisees, religious leaders, the questioning, the fact he said to him, you know, the one you're looking for is standing in your midst and you don't even know him. And he's going to say, I didn't either. But the one who sent me to baptize said, the one you see the Spirit descending on and staying on, that's the one. <clears throat> We're not told specifically whether they spent time together as children. John the Baptist is six months older than Yeshua, Jesus. The, the Lord's mother, Mary, and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mothers, were told are cousins, the relatives. So did they see each other at feasts? Had they encountered each other as little kids? Was John the Baptist this big and Elizabeth saying, take that grasshopper out of your mouth? You know, you know just what were they like when they were little? Um, you, can, you can just imagine these two, John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, Jesus conceived and born of the Holy Spirit. But the hills of Judea, where John the Baptist is born and raised, is a great distance from Nazareth in the north in Galilee. So they may have spent some time together. We don't know that. We would assume that at least... John the Baptist knew who he was, because I'm sure Zachariah and Elizabeth, you know, told him what had happened. And when my cousin Mary came, and and John, you heard the, her voice, you jumped in my womb, you knew it was the mother of the, the Messiah or the mother, of, you know, 
uh, of this special one that would come. And yet John is going to say here, I knew him not. I didn't know this one was the Son of God. Now, for, for years and years, he's out in the wilderness by himself. Zachariah and Elizabeth have passed off the scene. He is longing. He steps into his ministry. He is a fiery individual. Matthew tells us this, that he said, Think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to your father. I say unto you, God is able to raise up of these stones children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand. He will uh, thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbid him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. By the way, that's the second thing we hear from Jesus in the Gospels. The first thing we hear when he's 12 years old, Joseph of Mary left him behind in Jerusalem. They came back and found him. And Mary said, No, your father and I were looking for you. And he said, didn't you know that I ought to be about my father's business? We hear him speak at 12. We don't hear from him again until this scene where John the Baptist says, you know, you should baptize me. And he said, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us, you and I, John, to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water and lo... The heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist had experienced that at least 40 days before this scene where he points the finger and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Because when Jesus came out of the water, he's driven into the wilderness, where he's tempted of the devil for 40 days. Now he steps back onto the public scene. He's somewhere down near the Jordan at this point in time. And John the Baptist sees him and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. His view of Jesus has changed. He knows now he's the Son of God. And it tells us he saw the Spirit descend. The Father says, upon whom thou, singular, shalt see. So we get the impression only John the Baptist saw the Spirit descend and abide on him, and that only John heard the voice. God confirming, in fact. 
he had said, the axe is laid to the root. He's going to, every tree that doesn't bring forth good fruit, he's going to burn with fire. Even now, he's cleaning his threshing floor. He's going to gather the grain and the chaff. He's going to burn with unquenchable fire. Now he's saying, behold the Lamb of God. Isn't it interesting, the change. Because he saw the Spirit descending like a dove, which was a sacrificial animal. In fact, in the law, if you were too poor to offer a lamb, you could offer a turtle dove. Joseph and Mary, when they come to dedicate Jesus in Luke chapter 2, it says they brought two turtle doves. Normally a lamb would be offered. So Joseph was having a hard time with work. Uh, He couldn't get materials. Uh, there were ships sitting off the coast, and they couldn't they couldn't bring in what he needed. He didn't have enough money for lambs, so he offers two turtle doves. They they, they were poor. They have money, but that was a sacrificial animal. And somehow John the Baptist sees that, recognizes that, and then when he sees Jesus, it's no longer the fire, the axe. Now it's behold the lamb, behold the lamb. So interesting as the Lord had come to him, uh, F.B. Myers says that John the Baptist was a connoisseur of souls. He was calling multitudes to repentance. The soldiers were there. Romans were impacted by his ministry, and he told them, don't take any more from people except what is due. Don't abuse your power. You know, the religious leaders came. Who warned you to flee, you brood of vipers, you know? Uh, the common people came, the harlot, the tax gatherer, the person who had been unfaithful to their spouse, the person struggling with covetousness and theft, the person abused when they grew up and felt like nobody could ever love them, the liar. They came. And they heard, and they were baptized, and John watched them. And he knew the harlot that came and came down into the water, weeping, genuinely repenting of her sins, and he knew the one that looked like she was just trying to do what was right. He knew the thief came with a broken heart. And he knew the one that really wasn't repentant. He was a connoisseur of souls and then one walks up to him a soul like he's never experienced before and he looks at him and says I have need to be baptized of thee doesn't know who he is yet I have need to be baptized of thee and the Lord says to him suffer it to be so now For so it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. John, let's do this together. It becometh us. Jesus is the same, Hebrews 13, 8, yesterday, today, and forever. Old Testament, he says, Behold, I am the Lord, I change not. Isn't it interesting? He says John to John the Baptist, who needed forgiveness as well, a prophet, Suffer it to be so now, John. Let let this happen because it becometh us. This is something that we should do together. It becometh us to fulfill all unrighteousness. Look, he's the same. 
when you sit alone with him, whether that's the morning for you or in the afternoon, whether it's the evening or when the house quiets down, you're alone at night. When it's just you and him. And he knows your deepest struggles more than your spouse, more than your kids, more than your friends. And you listen. He's the same. And he says, you say, Lord, I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling with work. I'm struggling with temptation. And he says, you know, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Me and you. Me and you. We can do this together. Let's do this now. He'll say that to you. He says it to me. It becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. They go down into the water. And John sees heaven open. And the, and the, the, the spirit of God descending like a dove. doesn't say it was a dove. Like a dove. Luke says in chapter 3, verse 22, that it had the form or the appearance of a dove. The spirit is compared to fire, compared to oil, compared to water, compared to dew. You go through the scripture here, the spirit is descending like a dove. And it comes upon Jesus and it abides there. We don't know what it means. Does it, doesn't, he doesn't have a dove sitting on his shoulder. Is it just, does he light up with the presence of the Spirit? And it abides on him. And John says, then I knew. That was the one. Not only that, then John hears the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. It's interesting. The Greek is in whom I am already well pleased. He had never preached a sermon. He had never done a miracle. He worked in the carpenter shop in Nazareth for 30 years. Like many of us would live in obscurity because we think being seen by men or acknowledged by men is a higher place where the Bible teaches us being acknowledged by our Father in heaven is the highest place. This is my beloved son, nobody knew, in whom I am already well pleased. Every door jam he made was a good piece of work. He never overcharged anybody. He was honest with every customer. He rose early to spend time with me so that he could go into the forest and cut down a tree and bring it back to the shop and turn it into a board. He stood in the shop waiting for the day to come when he would go forth. In his heart, he heard sisters crying about their brothers that had passed away. In his heart, he saw lepers staggering through the streets. In his heart, he heard Jairuses crying for their daughters. In his heart, he felt the sin of mankind. But his time wasn't come until John the Baptist came upon the scene to be his forerunner and to make him manifest. But in all that quietness, God the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I already, I'm already well pleased. We can walk in that place with him. 
It's as sacred as anything we would think would be more sacred. In that quiet place where he can say to us, it becometh us, you and I, you and I, Joe, to fulfill all righteousness. Now, after Jesus is gone for 40 days, tempted in the wilderness, he comes back on the scene. Tells us in verse 29, and John sees him walking towards him, seeth him. The idea is he glances up. That's the, that's the word, the, the idea. He's walking toward him. And John writes as an eyewitness. Remember, he's, he's over 90 years old when he puts the quill to the page. And he writes in the present tense, and he sees him. He was John the Baptist's disciple, and he's reliving this. And this is like it happened yesterday. He said when he writes in chapter 16, and John's gospel will tell us more about the Holy Spirit than any of the gospels. He says in, verse six, in chapter 16, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll bring things to your remembrance. And that's what he does with John as he writes his gospel. And again, John, over 90, average life expectancy, 40 to 45 for a male in this day. So average life expectancy today is 80. Imagine knowing a 160-year-old you're getting a letter from. Just imagine all of this. And John is reliving, and he says, and he sees. Just like it's happening, he sees Jesus coming to him. And John then says, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Look, as a priest, imagine what it is for him to say this. He's from Aaron's line. He knew the, the, the role that lambs played in the sacrificial system. The word here for lamb is a sacrificial lamb. He understood that in the Garden of Eden, when they were cast out, Cain and Abel came with two different approaches to God. Abel comes with an innocent substitute, the blood of a lamb. Cain comes with the fruit of his own labor. The blood of that lamb was sufficient for the sins of Abel. All of the religions of the world flow from there. There is substitutionary atonement in the blood of the Lamb, and then there's every other form of religion where man does it by his own sweat, and the world is divided over it today. But he understood that Lamb came and was sufficient for Abel. He understood that on the Passover night, which predated the Levitical law, not a Levitical feast, Passover... It says that the lamb was slain between the doors in the trench. It's an Egyptian word, sopf, and it means the basin between the doors so the water wouldn't run in. That the lamb is slain in the sopf. His blood is poured out there. And that the blood is put on the door posts and on the lentils. And he understood that a lamb was slain between two crosses. And what it meant, and he understood there, that lamb was enough for a household. He understood that on the Feast of Atonement, that the lamb was taken into the Holy of Holies, and his blood was poured out on the mercy seat, and it was sufficient for the sin of the nation. 
He understood. But now he says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Of the world. Of you and I here this morning. He saw us centuries in the future. Of the world. And the way he puts it before us is remarkable. He says, behold, that's an imperative in Eris. It's an imperative. It means you need to think. To, to behold is to think about, to measure, to calculate, to examine the idea. And it's an imperative here. It's not a suggestion. You need to do this. Everybody here, you need to do this. You need to examine. You need to measure. You need to think about you need to calculate this. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. It doesn't say the Lamb from God, although he was that. It's not what it says in the language that takes away the sin of the world. He doesn't say the Lamb presented by God, although he was. It's possessive in the grammar and it says, behold God's particular, peculiar lamb. It's possessive. Behold God's lamb. In contrast to every other lamb that had been slaughtered through the century, this is now God's lamb. He says that as a priest. Imagine what he's thinking, John the Baptist, as he realizes. You know, he's looking now and he says, Behold, you've got to calculate this. You have to think about this. It has to be on your heart. It has to have weight. This was God's lamb. God's lamb. God's particular peculiar lamb that he ordained as sacrifice sufficient to take away and that phrase like five or six times in John it means to take away not just lift off it means to take away the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world sin of the world Sin, to miss the mark, is the idea. And it is the mark that's set by God's holy law. To miss it is to come short of it in thought, in deed, in attitude, in the way we treat other humans, in our relationship to God, we have missed the mark. Sin. But he says he's come to take away the sin of the world. The sin of every man who has ever lived. The sin of every man who's alive now. And the sin of every man that will live. The sin from Adam to the last babe born before the judgment of God. The sin singular of the world, singular. He sees the sin of mankind in one incredible mass. And he says he's come to take away the sin of the world. 
It's done. On the cross, John's going to tell us, he says, it is finished. It is finished. The Lamb of God. Listen, that takes away the sin of the world. These are deathless words. You and I know them thousands of years later. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They are imperishable words. John heard Jesus, John the Baptist say that when he was 15, 16. And as John the Apostle then saw the crucifixion and the resurrection, as he was there on Pentecost, as he saw the lame man healed, John as he moves forward you know, into the mission field, John as he stands on Patmos and sees the Lamb of God, chapter 5, with the marks of slaughter upon him, this thing that John the Apostle heard when he was a teenager, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. These are deathless words. They are imperishable. And as time goes on, they become deeper. They become more powerful. And as we step into eternity in the ages to come, we're still learning of his grace and of his mercy. I've been saved for 50 years. Next year. 40 years ago this month, Kathy and I had moved back from the West Coast. We looked for a church, a lot of great Christian people, a lot of fine churches. We were spoiled. wasn't what we were looking for. So 40 years ago, in November of 1981, we started a Bible study with about 20 of us. And then you all showed up. <laughs> and then everybody complains, it's too big. Well, you brought your friends. It's not my fault. Right? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Is more important to me now than it's ever been in my 50 years with Christ. Calculate, think about, measure God's own holy lamb that he gave to take away my sin, to take away my sin. And Satan lies to us. He's the accuser of the brethren. There are people sitting in this room today, no doubt, struggling with condemnation. They've compromised. They've done things wrong in the last few days. Hatred, bitterness, lust, anger, drugs. And the enemy wants to keep you away from your Savior. You need to measure something. You need to calculate it. You need to think about it. And it's this. God's lamb did the work, not you. You should respond. You should yield to this one who loves you. But the work is done. God's peculiar lamb who takes away the sin of the world of the world. Just think of that. It's the message we have, that this world is so frayed and threadbare and falling apart. It has to be real in our lives. We have to behold this one. Or, what, or we don't have it. If you don't have the measles, you can't give anybody the measles. If this is not real in our lives, what do we have to infect other people with. 
It, and it's so interesting when he says this, behold the Lamb of God. You know, in the Old Testament, the first time the word lamb appears in the Bible is 22 chapters into Genesis. The, lamb, the word lamb never appears. In chapter 22 of Genesis, the first time you hear the word love. It's the first time you hear the word worship. It's the first time you hear the word lamb. God says to Abraham, Abraham, take thine son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, first time the word love is in the Bible, and bring him to a mountain that I will tell thee of. And as they come there, Abraham says to his servants, you wait here, I and the lad will go and worship, first time the word worship is used, and we will come again. And when they get to the mountain, the servants had to stay behind, and only the father and the son could go to the top of Golgotha. That's where Abraham and Isaac were. And Isaac says, Father, behold the fire. Behold the wood. Where is the lamb for the sacrifice? First time the word lamb is in the Bible in the Old Testament. Genesis 22. The first time the word lamb is in the New Testament, not in Matthew, not in Mark, not in Luke. John 1:29 is the first time in the New Testament you find the word lamb. Behold the lamb. The question is put forth on the first use. Where is the lamb? The answer in the first use in the New Testament, behold the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Remarkable. And John says, this is the one of whom I said, after me cometh a man in human time. I'm six months older than him. My ministry will begin before him. After me cometh a man that is preferred honored before me, before I ever lived. He's my predecessor, my successor, for he was before me. He existed before me. Now, when we get to verse 31 down to 34, John's going to answer the question because Jesus had no form or comeliness that we should desire him. Anything recognizable. Again, if he was sitting here this morning, nobody would know he was here. He came to look like the rest of us. He put on human skin. And John is saying, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The question undoubtedly is going to be, how do you know that? Is this carpenter from Galilee? How do you know that? And in verses 31 to 34, John answers that question. He says in verse 31, And I knew him not... But he should be made manifest to Israel. I didn't know him. All I knew that whoever he was, he should be made manifest to Israel. That's the reason I come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. He says, I saw, perfect tense, and that picture is still in my mind at 90 years old. I saw it. 
and I still see it. The day so impacted me, I saw it. I remember the first day I saw Jesus. I, I, I remember the night, late at night, falling apart and the love of God washing over me like waves of the sea, cleansing wave after wave. I couldn't talk. He says, I saw, and it's still in my mind's eye, the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. I would not have known him, except, but he that sent me to baptize with water... The same said unto me, and how did God the Father talk to John the Baptist? This is very specific. The same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see, future tense, it's going to happen, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. Well, of course, if the Holy Ghost descends from heaven, in a visible form to John, and it abides upon him, it stays on him, then he would be the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who is filled with the Spirit without measure. He's the one that will then baptize with the Holy Spirit. And John then says this, And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again, Speaking of the fact that that John the Apostle, the evangelist who's writing, was an eyewitness and an ear witness to these things. He's writing as though they're happening in front of him. And he says, and I saw and bear record. Very interesting. It's I emphatic in the language. I, I saw this. Little old me. I saw it. John's writing. You know, what he heard John the Baptist say. I saw it. I, I'm the one. John the Baptist. Imagine that. Me. I saw and bear record. Those two phrases are both in the perfect tense. So it's, again, I saw. I, little old me, I saw it. And I'm still seeing it in my mind. And bore record and it is still my testimony today that this is the Son of God. I heard the voice. Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I wouldn't have known him. I wouldn't have known him. He had no form or comeliness. He... I had a great sense of his righteousness when he came to be baptized, but I didn't know he was the Son of God. Even if I had a thought he might be the Messiah, I had no idea that this was the Son of Almighty God. And he says to us, look, you have to calculate this. You've got to think about this. This is your business individually. Not mine, not the person next to you, not your spouses, not your kids. This is your business. You have to calculate. You have to behold. You have to think about this. God's own lamb. Not you. God's own lamb. 
that has taken away the sin of the world. There's only two places sin can be. Your sin. It can be on your neck. And you can try to bear it alone. Or it can be on the Son of God. And the burden has been removed from you. If your own sin is still on your neck, you are in your sins and you will die and perish eternally. If you trust the Son of God and your sins are upon Him, you will be saved forever. Whatever you prefer. Well, if God's a God alive, how can He send people? He doesn't send anybody anywhere. He makes reservations. You're here today. You don't know Christ personally? Where do you want to spend eternity? Under your own sins, cast off into outer darkness, burning and falling in hell for over and over? Because God is holy and you're covered with sin and you can't be with him because of that? Or do you want your sin to be on the Lamb of God? God's own Lamb, God's sacrifice, the only one who had the ability to take on himself the sin of the world. Isaiah said, God the Father laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you prefer that? If that's what you prefer, as we sing our last song today, I'm going to encourage you to get out of your seat and walk down here. We're going to come further in John to where Jesus says, if you're willing to acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. If you know you need to be saved today, you're tired of your own sin, you have everybody else fooled, but when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, you're alone with yourself, and you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, and you're sick of struggling under your sin, and it's killing you and destroying others around you, and you're just tired of the whole thing, then you come to Jesus today. He's the Lamb of God that already carried your sin. You can refuse that or accept that. He takes away the sin of the world. If you don't know him, I'm going to ask you as we stand to pray to get out of your seat and come down and stand right here in front of everybody and say, I want this forgiveness. I want to know that God's particular lamb, God's own lamb, God's own sacrifice, carried my sin. If you're here today and you've been a prodigal, you've been away from the Lord, and the enemy is lying to you, say, you know, he is tired of you. You have worn him out. You have, that was the straw that breaks the camel's back. Right? I'll tell you how God the Father feels about you. He loves you. He loves you. Listen to me. He loves you. This world is disintegrating. It is falling apart. And he's given his own precious son, his own precious lamb. And he bore your sins. As a backslidden Christian, you need to remember that. You need to calculate that. You need to measure that. And if you do, you'll fall back in love with Jesus again. Come back from that place where you've been away. Just do that as we stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward in your own heart. Recommit yourself to the one who carried your sin. He carried all of it. It's already been paid for. 
And if you've never come to Christ, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and walk down and stand here in front of everyone. Jesus hung on the cross before the world naked for you. You can come and stand here and say, you know what? If God the Father paid that price for me, his own precious son, I want to know this God. I want to know. Then you'll come. Let's stand. Let's pray together. If you need to be saved today and a friend brought you, they're going to say, come on, come on, I'll go down with you. We want to give you a Bible, some literature to read. We don't want your email. We don't want your phone number. We're not going to give you offering envelopes. We don't want nothing from you. We want everything for you. Okay? Let's bow our hearts. Father, I know you've overheard. And you give us this remarkable passage, Lord. And we don't have to die with our sin on our own neck, Lord. We can die in hope knowing that your lamb, your son, bore our sins. Father, keep that before us. We're all so imperfect. We all fail. We all make mistakes. And we all need to calculate and recalculate and remeasure and remeasure, Lord. And behold, again and again, the Lamb of God. And it becomes sweeter and sweeter to us, Father. And we pray for those here who don't know you, Lord. You add to the church daily such as should be saved. Your word tells us that. We pray you would draw them now into your arms of love. The one who has rescued them from an eternity in darkness. Let them see that, Lord. Let your love reach their hearts today. Let it blow their minds, Lord. And only you can do that. So, Lord, we commit it to you. As we lift our hearts in worship, Lord, receive it. Lord, let it be a sweet savor before you. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name, for your glory. Lord, we love you. Amen.